Hello, my name is Lindsay Sarah Krasnoff, and welcome to the Global Sport Conversations podcast series on behalf of SISD and SOAS. I'm joined today by David Lasday, Chief Operating Officer of Israel Lacrosse. David, I'm thrilled you could join us today. You've had a fascinating career in global sport from a variety of different angles, including diplomacy and development, and on multiple continents. Before we get into the the crux of our conversation, could you start by telling us about what first drew you to the sports world, both as a player and now as an official advocate and sports diplomat? Well, thank you, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Um, I've always been passionate about sports um, from a, as, as a kid, and I think it was always that intersection of both sport and community, because um, I moved around a lot growing up in the States. I lived all over the Midwest, and my, my sport growing up was basketball, and that was my way of connecting and making new friends and, and all the different communities that I lived in. Mm. Yeah, and sport very much serves as a bridge across cultures, um, not just in a in an international setting, but certainly domestically as well. And we talk a lot about sports' role in this fashion uh, through the people-to-people exchanges that organically occur in and around the sports terrain and how these cultural exchanges help to create better understandings between people or cultures by demystifying the other a little bit. In your experience, what are the merits of sports diplomacy? Well, you know, um, the renowned philosopher Plato said, um, you can learn more about someone in an hour of play than a year of conversation. And I found that to be true throughout throughout my career. Um, and it's what's really amazing about sport is it becomes the language. So if you don't speak the other the other's language, or if you don't even speak it fluently, um, sport is a way of connecting and you're able to communicate through the game and through play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we utilize that to build community, to build understanding um, and to build pride in, in, in our own communities. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Now, I'd like to unpack this a little bit. Can you walk us through how you've, you've seen or utilize sports diplomacy um, yourself? Uh, you talked a little bit about y- your, your earlier years uh, traveling across the Midwest, but certainly um, more internationally as well. Sure. Yeah, I actually I started my career with uh, Peace Players International, which is a nonprofit nonprofit that utilizes basketball uh, to build community, build bridges um, in, in divided societies. Um, and it actually started in Northern Ireland um, with bringing Catholics and Protestants together, and then went to South Africa, um, and then came here to the Middle East, and also works in Cyprus. Um, and here, here in um, in the Middle East, we we used basketball to bridge divides between Arab. Arab and Jews in the region, um, and we built youth teams, mixed youth teams, that would compete in in uh, mixed leagues together. Mm. And how have you witnessed firsthand the impact of this work on the Israeli and the the Arab youths that you've worked with in the region? Well, it's really it's really quite amazing. There's like a lot of communities where Arabs and Jews live side by side, um, but they're able to you know go about their lives without interacting, um, and this kind of builds up. Combined with what's what's happening in the region, it, it, it builds up a, a fear of the other, and it's hard to see the other as a person. Um, and what we really focused on with with Peace Players International was utilizing the game for the other to see the people as people and not as objects. Um, and by being able to compete and and play together and practice together and build to our common goal, 
um, we are really um, we are able to overcome these boundaries. I'd like to kind of get into something you mentioned a little earlier about how sport diplomacy can help to foster community. Um, can you talk about why building and fostering community, particularly for athletes, um, uh, particularly athletes who might be playing in leagues that are not in their home country, how building this community is important, both um, on, I guess, the human level, but also in terms of how it translates onto the field. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think the community gives them a, a structure of who they're playing for and what they're playing for, who they're representing. Um, and then, then the sport is a way of connecting them to the global community and, and, and um, becoming that language to interact with each other. Um, and, and people take pride in, in representing their community, whether wearing the symbols on their chest or, or waving the flags uh, or, the common, or the common cheers based on, on their, local, their, their local culture. Um, as we go around right now, building and developing the sport of lacrosse here in Israel, uh, we really utilize um, local cultures and even from city to city or community to community and using that as a way that, you know, that's what you're playing for. You know, you're playing to represent your community. Um, you're waving your flag. You're coming in with your 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 local cheers. Um, and that gives a framework to, to, to building the team um, and inspiring the these kids to want to play for this local region. Um, but within the framework of, of you know a national a national league international leagues where there's there's these rules and understanding of, of how to interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about lacrosse. So, first of all, how did you get from basketball to lacrosse? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I there was lacrosse in my local high school, but I never got to play it. Um, and what I what I realized early on here as as I um, um, started to learn more and more about the game. There's so much crossover between basketball and lacrosse. Um, so it really helped my understanding of the actual game on the field with the offense and the defense um, and things like that. But it was more of identifying how quickly um, the game was growing. Um, the game's grown from 38 countries to now being in 67 countries in the last four years. Um, and just the opportunity in this sport um, and the passion of the people that play the sport to want to develop it and grow, grow the sport and vol- by either volunteering to come abroad to coach or to donate gear or to donate funds. Um, there's this, this community that's very passionate about the growth of it, which is very unique. It's at the very onset uh, of the sport, really, although it's a, it's a very old sport. Um, it's originally from the Native Americans um, a thousand years ago, um, and they played it instead of going to war. Um, it's seen as a, uh, as a game that was uh, given to God to help heal the world. Um, and there's, they even tell that there's a great story behind about how the, the stick is actually a spoon and there's a, the, the circle symbol is very important and everybody having a spoon and be able to feed each other and, and share, share in the food from this plate. Um, and it's really, it's called the medicine game. That's really fascinating and remarkable imagery as well. And so it would seem that if you're looking at, you know, which sports are perhaps most naturally suited for sports diplomacy efforts, lacrosse is the one. Yeah. And also it being very new, um, when you bring it to a region, um, 
there's no no one has one up on on another when you come come you're introducing the sport to a new community um everyone's coming at it from the same from the same level true and so why why do you from where you sit why do you think that there's been such a growth in the game of lacrosse worldwide um i think that i mean i'll start in north america um with um really the sport in general being open um growing from from the east coast and, and going um midwest and, and west and then um with with these passionate individuals that have connected to to countries in Europe um, and some of the more powerhouse regions and um, and you know Canada, England, Australia, um, but then going out to these other countries and, and wanting to grow the game um, and volunteering and, and coaching and training um, local players and, and, and coaches. Mm. And very much so, it kind of all snowballs in a way. Um, I'd like to back up a little bit. You mentioned the natural crossovers between basketball and lacrosse. Can you, can you explain that a little bit more for our audience? What do you mean by that? Um, And how, how does that, how does that work? Sure. I mean, as we're we're going into schools every day here, um, Mm -hmm. teaching and introducing the sport of lacrosse, the the two biggest sports here in Israel um, are are soccer or football and, and, um, and basketball by far. Um, and so being able to show the, how, how these sports are very similar helps a lot. So, you know, with football and two goals, kids get that very quickly. But then if you go to like the higher level of what lacrosse, the way offenses and defenses work, there's, there's man-to-man defense, there's, um, there's a zone defense that are very similar to basketball. And then there's a, you know, on offense, there's pick and roll, there's give and go, there's, um, the higher level of offenses, the motion offense, it's all very similar. Oh, yeah, I can see it when you point it out, but that's not something that would naturally jump out to someone who's not terribly steeped in the game. Um, that's sure, really yeah, but we were able to, yeah, no, we're able to, the kids were able to see the, the connection very quickly, which is, which is amazing. So what's been one of the more remarkable things you have witnessed um, in your work growing the game in Israel? I think it starts with the passion of, of our, our first coaches that came over here. You know, they, they moved from North America and uprooted their lives, and they've really come over here and committed to, like, 24-7 growing the game of, of lacrosse, uh, from running uh, PE classes throughout the morning and recruiting kids uh, to play after school. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's always different challenges, but we've been able to, ch- we've been able to take the obstacles and, and make them advantages, um, from if it's, if it's, um, field time or if it's, um, or if it's equipment, um, we've been able to get all kinds of equipment donations over from the States, um, so there, it's really what's the most rewarding part of it is that ne- is this next generation of lacrosse players that we've had playing maybe four or five years, and now they're taking the steps to become leaders in in our association, um, by become local coaches and local regional managers, and creating the whole system for how how we're going to you know, how we're going to continue to grow. Mm. Certainly, giving back and feeding into the system. Um, the what. What age 
kids are you working with? Um, because this is a more specialized sport. Are you starting to work with kids in their preteens or their teenage years or a little earlier? What does that look like? Yeah, so we have camps for, we, we run camps for eight-year-olds to 12-year-olds, and then our leagues are um, from 13-year-olds and, and up. And so we have U15 leagues and U19 leagues and then adult leagues. And our adult leagues, we've, um, we run in the summertime, so we get, um, you know, 50, 60 um, players from North America that come over here and they coach while they play. Then we get about another 40 from uh, Europe and a couple from Africa, uh, from Uganda. And then the rest are our local Israelis. And so they get really good very quickly by playing with this um, from high talent from around the world. And I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, so with the growth and development of the game there in Israel, and particularly as it's a relatively newer uh, sport that's taken off there, are there the same issues of gender stereotypes about who plays lacrosse or who should not? In the, you know, Here I'm thinking very much of the world of football, where there are many cultures around the world where football, soccer is still perceived as mostly a sport for boys and men and not necessarily for women to play in the same way. Sure. I mean, I mean, you look at, I mean, even football here um, in Israel, I mean, it, it took a lot like leaps and bounds really last year after with, with the World Cup and everything um, with, with women starting to get some time on the feet, more time on the field and better better resources. Um, what's been amazing with Israel Lacrosse Association is we were able to put that and ingrain the importance of gender equality in, in, um, in, in our association from the get-go. Um, and so for every minute we have, we have a field time for men, we, we give, we, it's equal for women. Um, if we're sending a women's, or if we're sending a men's team to compete abroad, we're sending a women's team to compete abroad. Um, so we're able to, you're able to put that culture um, and that value of um, equality in, into the association. Baked in at the foundation. Yeah, terrific. Well, so looking at looking at uh, the growth of Israel lacrosse uh, through a slightly different angle, through the angle of sports diplomacy, last year Israel hosted the men's World Lacrosse Championships, and this past summer uh, Israel hosted the women's European Lacrosse Championships. In what ways do you think hosting these events communicated and represented about the country of Israel or Israeli culture or Israeli sports culture on an international stage? Sure, it was an amazing opportunity to host these events. Um, we actually earned the right to host the Women's European Championship uh, before hosting the men, before we before we knew that we were going to get to host the men's. Um, and the men's championship was 46 countries, um, 2,000 players, 175 games. It was really it's, it was the biggest World Lacrosse Championship ever, and ever will be because now they're. We've built in qualifiers um, and, and the field to go back down to, to 38. Um, so it was really special being able to host that amount of people um, here in Israel. And the whole country really got behind it and we're excited about um, really hosting all these different nations. And um, we were able to have people here for two weeks um, in Netanya and, and they got to play at our the Wingate Institute, our national sports um, institute here and we were really showcased the world not only to the 2000 players and the thousands of fans that came to experience it but also um, the games were, were broadcast on ESPN um, which really gave 
a, a huge boost to the country and the Ministry of Tourism helped with the helped with the broadcast um, and we were able to put ads and and um, different video showcasing the teams visiting Jerusalem. Um, one that was one of the gifts from the Israel Lacrosse Association was to send every team on a, a tour of Jerusalem that inc- included seeing the old city and learning about the history um, and the shared cultures and the shared religion and the importance of, of the city for every for, for people around the world. Um, and also to visit Yad Vashem, um, Israel's Holocaust Museum. Um, so we really got to see the country a little bit. And then we were able to showcase them seeing the country to people around the world. Um, mm-hmm. So other people got to see it through their eyes and see, see their experiences. Um, and then just the people-to-people connection was amazing. Um, it was really cool to be able to see just other countries interacting with each other here. Um, and then having our players um, interacting with them and being able to really connect um, was it was invaluable. Certainly. And usually when we talk about the impacts of sports diplomacy in hosting sports mega events like these, uh, we usually talk about you know the, the benefits and the symbolism for those who are coming and visiting or of the kind of host country itself. But we often kind of overlook the athlete experience. Uh, did you notice any way that hosting these events and welcoming the world helped your players, whether adding kind of new dimensions to cultural understandings, or did they game, gain game-specific knowledge, such as, I don't know, different tactics or different concepts of the game as it might be played or understood or practiced elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, this was the most amount of games played at this level Um that these kids ever got to experience and become fan and be fans of. Um, and I think even more so the, the recent women's European championship we hosted this past summer, um, with 16 countries and, and over 60 games. Um, when you look at there, there's some crazy statistics that like only 18% of women have been to a live sporting event. Um, and to be able to bring our women, our, our, our girls that are playing from throughout the country here, to experience and seeing women playing at a high level um, and then seeing actually Israel um, win silver, come in second place at the European Championship. Um, I know that really inspired these girls and, um, you know, gave them something to dream for. And then just, you know, across the, you know, they're, they're, our kids are getting a little spoiled in a way, just how many people they interact with and how many different cultures, which is, you know, which is amazing. And you see, you see um, how it affects them. Um, we have one girl who's uh, our national team uh, goalie who plays on our who just recently played on our U19 World Championship team that went to Canada in August, and we played in that tournament. And it was actually the first time that that age group won won internationally, um, and they won five games. Um, and in one of the games, they were playing Kenya. It was Kenya's first championship. Um, competing, and she actually saw that the team um, was slipping and sliding around the field because they didn't have the right shoes, they didn't have the cleats. Um, and so, at the end of the game, she you know she rallied our team and our parents to to go buy cleats for Kenya, and where was able to give Kenya these cleats. Um, and this video went viral. Um, you know, it got three million views on ESPN and House of Highlights, and I think just diplomatically it was probably one of the strongest things that's ever happened for for Israel in sports with just 
and it came from her just her understanding of, of you know we're a global we're a global community you want to every we want everyone to get better we want to be competing at the highest level mm-hmm. certainly um starting to zoom out a little bit what's your prognosis about when when we might see lacrosse as an official olympic sport again so you know i, I think strategically um the international body is aiming for you know um um, 2028 um, in Los Angeles, um, and, and there's a lot of different things going on um, to build to that. Um, we want to, you know, continue to grow the game and, and get into more countries and have more countries playing playing lacrosse at a high level. Um, it may come with um, there have been different rule changes proposed um, with with smaller teams and a smaller field and a faster game um, as as I'm, as I, I, when we talk about like obstacles and, and advantages, one of the obstacles is for me was not growing up in lacrosse. But one of my advantages is that I'm not as tied to the the traditional rules. So, so a seven on seven game um, um, can make sense to me, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm um, and I can see how you know you know once you get into the Olympics, everything changes for a sport top down. Um, you get a lot more support from the local country, and and, and um, for us, I think a smaller game would help us. You know, there there aren't as many fields in Israel. Um, there's only 46 fields for every million people, so that's one of our challenges. So having playing, you know, playing a smaller field with a smaller amount of people, um, you know, could be great. And you certainly encounter a lot of challenges, um, big and small. But putting on kind of your 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 large picture hat, what is perhaps one of the more pressing issues or challenges that those in the global sports industry need to start really working solutions for? So I think, you know, in this growing up in the States, we had different seasons and and we were able to play three different sports um, throughout the year. Um, And here outside of the States, you, you specialize a lot earlier and you specialize for the year. Um, you basically play the same sport from September to June. Um, and I just think there's, you know, there's been so many studies shown that you become better at other sports by playing several different sports. Um, and it's even healthier for your body. Um, and if there's a way of building that aspect into the global community and bringing that, um, that would be amazing. And I think the other thing would be that um, recognizing that, that sport is for everyone um, and and not just limiting it to the ta- the ones that show early talent or um, or, or the elite athlete. Um, there's a space for everybody on the field and everybody can achieve sporting greatness and they and sport can be a way of building community where it doesn't it doesn't always have to be played at the top level. Um, it can be played as a way of, of seeing each other as people. Um, and so being able to kind of just change that mindset a little bit of how we, what, what we um, see as sporting success, um, where sporting can, success can, can also look as, it can be about engaging as many people as possible. Mm. Terrific. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences and perspectives with us, David. I've learned a lot um, and have a lot to think about now as well. Um, We'll see you next time for another edition of Global Sports Conversations.